and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Flux, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the prophetic Matt. Hello there. Greetings, Matt. Greetings, David. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we're talking about the survivors of the Flux this week. We are. We are. Flux chapter five of six. I know, we're nearly there. Mm, so close. Um, but before before we get into that, Matt, uh, how's your week been? Uh, it's, it's been an okay week. I, I, I went to my mum's today and I was saying to her... Mm-hmm. Um, this, this week has just passed me by. Um, I've applied for a new job this week. Uh, oh, have you? I have, That's yeah. big news. Um, so, like... Sa- same same uh, industry? Yeah, well, or... it's even at the same school. It's, it's more oh, of a right, promotion okay. than a job. Ah, I see, um, I see. So, I spent Monday, Tuesday thinking about it. Wednesday and Thursday applying for it. And then Friday, mm-hmm. recovering from the pressure I'd put myself under without realising. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a big thing, isn't it? Um, do, you know, applying for jobs and things. I don't I don't envy what, anyone who is ever in that situation. Because even if it is, as you say, you know, it's one of those situations where you're just kind of angling for potentially a promotion. And if you don't get it, then you don't get it and you still got your job. Even that is still, it can be a huge amount of pressure, can't it? Yeah, I just thought, you know, why not? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Worth a punch. Well, certainly my perspective in in employment terms recently, I've I've talked, I think, on pod about how I I was for a few years working for the NHS um, and had to make the not at all easy decision to um, take a bit of a sidestep into a different uh, a, a, a similar sort of job in a different institution because um, things were not going well in the, uh, uh, the, the part of the NHS I was in um, and so I ended up uh, you know getting a new job at a university but that was on a, a, a 12 month fixed term contract so there was absolutely no long term security so we we say every week, David, that this is a show about Doctor Who, but it we do. It, it's about the banality of everyday life, really, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly for the first forty-five minutes per episode. Okay, so check check this out as a fantastic way to start a story. Um, I'm ready. I, I woke up this morning and I paid my electricity bill. <laughs> Oh, strap yourselves in, listeners. This is going to be a thrill ride. (laughs) Now, given the fact that the cost of energy, you know, your electricity, your gas and everything in Britain is going through the roof, how how much do you think I paid for a month's electricity? Bearing in mind, I was off work for three of those four weeks, one with COVID and Mm. two just a half-term break. Uh, I wouldn't even like to hazard a guess, to be honest, Matt. Well, they've charged me a total of £8. Wow. Yeah. That that feels like a clerical error. Yeah. So now I'm living in constant fear that, like, I'm going to get a massive bill and it's like you owe us £8,000. So I better get this bloody promotion, David. I don't want, I don't want Eon knocking on the door. <laughs> no, indeed. Or Elon, for that matter. 
now Elon doesn't want my money. <laughs> you'd, you'd think he's got enough by this point. Yeah. If he can just go ahead and just buy a social media giant on a whim... Yeah. You know that's that that is that is someone with too many pounds or, or dollars, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's like the old joke, isn't it? Well, I say the old joke. I've heard it a lot this week. He's buying yeah. Twitter, David, for uh, forty-four billion dollars. Jo- jokes on him. I downloaded it for free. <laughs> hey, um, what about you? How's your week been? Ah, uh, yeah, it's been all right. It's been. Um, I, I I had a short week this week. I thought I'd make the most of the bank holiday, um, which is uh, tomorrow, as we record this, listeners. Um, uh, happy Beltane, incidentally, if uh, anyone celebrates such things. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I took the Friday off this week. And uh, me and my partner and little Zorbs and uh, our lovely dog Moss had a lovely trip to the seaside. Awesome. Yeah, we went to Saltburn by the sea. Oh, it's one of my favourite. It's got a lovely pier. It does have a lovely pier. We we even we even went in the the amusements on the pier, which is not a thing I would normally do, but you know, when in Rome. Yeah. Did you win anything? Did you go on the penny tolls? Uh, yeah, we did. We took we took a bag of two peas and. Uh, uh, got ourselves a few tickets, and uh, it, 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 we were very lucky uh, that, I mean, I say lucky, you know, one of the things that I love about it is is the sort of incredibly out-of-date Disney tat that they have at those things. Yeah. So, I mean, they really overbought on Lilo and Stitch key rings, I'll tell you I, that for free. Uh, I think last time I was there, I won, like, you know, slime that children play in. Play with, uh-huh. sorry. Yeah. And it was just randomly in like a little Cinderella pot. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, one of the things that they had that you could uh, trade your tickets in for uh, were a couple of Baymax badges. Oh, nice. And, I mean, I think I've said before on pod, uh, Little Zorb's basically, I think, aspires to be Baymax these okay. days. Um, I think probably his top robot out of all the many robots that he greatly admires. Um, so he was delighted uh, to have uh, Baymax badges. So, yeah, no, all in all, good day out. G- cracking fish and chips. Oh, good, you know. good. That was going to be my next question. Of course. I mean, why why go to the seaside? Mm-hmm. If you're not, even if, even if you're, you just end up sitting, eating fish and chips in your car, in the pouring rain... Watching the sea battering against the pier, that is still an essential part of uh, the British seaside experience. Yeah, yeah. Now the listeners will be desperate to know, David. Did you have guacamole on your fish and chips? No, I didn't because I'm not insane. <laughs> I had mushy peas and curry sauce like a normal human man. Oh, good, good. Any scraps? Naturally. Good. Good. Despite it being one course, I like my fish and chips to be at least four courses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it has to be literally twice as much food as anyone ought to be eating in yeah. one city. Did, did you go for a drink? Did you go for a dandelion and burdock, a Ben Shaw's oh. shandy bass? Or... 
I, I didn't. I, I'm afraid this is this is a terribly middle class answer. I went for uh, a lemon San Pellegrino. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, nice a bit of citrus to cut. You know, I mean, cut to, through the to the complete grease. the menu. Did you get a lemon top or anything for pudding? Stick of rock. Mm. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I didn't basically eat anything for the rest of the day. Good. Now, how, how do you feel about this covert uh, episode of Meal of the Week, David? <laughs> it just <laughs> refuses right. to die. <laughs> well, you know what? In all honesty, um, as great as the fish and chips were, I honestly think my Meal of the Week might don't, be a couple don't of... Don't tell us. Do not tell us, David. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to talk about uh, the malted milks I've just scoffed. Oh, because... do you know what? I, th- I think we have replaced Meal of the Week with Biscuit Chat, so... <laughs> An underrated biscuit, I think, mm. the malted milk. Mm. Um, and one that I find I, I always uh, overestimate my restraint around mm. i think i can just i can just have one or two and quit yeah but the reality is i can't no <laughs> you know but at the same time like I, i'm totally with you if there's one biscuit i think i can inhale a packet of it's malted milks yeah because there's no density to them at all <laughs> like, no they're so, they're so slender yeah. and light yeah um yeah well david can I pull back the curtain? Yes. All right. Because Go for it. you mentioned these malted milks before we started recording today. Yeah. Um, I thought we could do some audience participation with Biscuit Chat. Um, oh, great. So I, I've texted uh, my top secret Doctor Who podcast WhatsApp group. Uh, it's so yeah. secret you're not in it. <laughs> <laughs> Charmed. Yeah. I should really add you to it, but... No, it's all right. I just ignore it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, let me let, let me check. Do you ever talk about Doctor Who on it? Uh, let let me. I'm going to scroll back. I'm going to put my thumb up and down, David, four times, and I'm just yeah. going to stop the conversation. And uh, got a nice message from Shona from my adventure in uh, space and time about when she went to go see Blondie. Uh, so yep. that tells you how much Doctor Who we discuss. Yeah, no, no interest then. Have you still got your you Blondie were. mug? Uh, yes, I do. I haven't taken it to the charity shop yet. <laughs> wow. I really need to get onto that. Um, so I, I sent my super secret Doctor Who podcast WhatsApp group a little message saying, just quick question, what's the one biscuit you could eat an entire packet of and not feel guilty? Uh, do you want some answers from the community? Yes, I would love to. Uh, so, Shona, again, says Tesco's own accidentally vegan dark chocolate digestives. Mm. I do like a digestive as well. And now the, I'm going to say something controversial about digestives. Yeah. I prefer them to a hobnob. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. You and I very much part ways there. Oh, really? Yeah. Big fan I'm of the hobnob. Keep- a big fan of a hobnob, not keen on a digestive, even oh. a chocolate one. I find a chocolate hob, uh, uh, a chocolate digestive to be perhaps the most disappointing chocolate biscuit imaginable. Ah, oh, see, 
Get yourself to Morrison's and they do a chocolate chip digestive. There's a recommendation for you. Uh, I'd give it a go for sure. What about Mark's suggestion? Or So that's Mark from the All of Time and Space podcast who says a plain chocolate Leibniz biscuits or Leibniz, Ooh. however you pronounce that. Yeah, no trouble. No trouble at yeah. all with that. Right. Do you when 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 you're indulging in a, in a, in a chocolate Leibniz? Do you do that thing of uh, nibbling the um, the yeah. chocolate rim? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to, haven't you? Uh, and then a message from Rob from the Cloister Bell says Jaffa cakes. So I just replied and said, "Get the fuck out of here, Rob. They're not biscuits." He he's got to be trolling with that answer, surely. Uh. Yeah, well, he did say his wife likes chocolate fingers, so, you know. Yeah. He's mad on Jaffa Cakes. It's all he ever talks about. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Jaffa Cakes are excellent, but the clue's in the name, Rob. Yeah. They are cakes, they are not a biscuit. And he literally dunks every food into another yeah. food. <laughs> if he's not talking about Jaffa Cakes in tea, he's talking about... He bought a three-kilogram drum of nacho cheese to dip food into <laughs> You know what? I can respect that. Yeah. Well, there we go. There's there's a new little segment where random text. Um, speaking of segments, David, I've got some jokes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so ready for this. Uh, have you got any from Little Zorbs this week? I do, and I and I've not prepared it, but I, I did. Um, I did note it down earlier. Do you, do you want me to go first whilst you find it? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I've got two this week. One from my niece and one from my nephew. Okay. Okay. So, first one from my niece, David. Why did the cat go flying? Um, Because someone threw it out the window? Uh, My my immediate response was, did somebody kick it? But no, it's because someone used a catapult. Ah, catapult. Yeah. See? Yeah. Right, now, this next one is from my nephew, David, who hasn't submitted a joke yet, but this is a strong debut. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. How old is your nephew, for context? He's nine. He hasn't got the frantic, like, madness of Little Zorb's jokes. Yeah. Okay. Why did the toilet go down the hill? Uh, why did the toilet go down the hill? Um, no, I can't think of it. To get to the bottom. Ah, uh, to get to the bottom. Yeah, I yeah. see. Yeah, yeah but, yes, because of bottoms and toilets. Yes, um, right. In, instead of the well, A to yeah. Z, I think I'm going to cut together all these mm. jokes just with us groaning at the end of them, just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Yes. Well, um, you don't think you'll be groaning at this one. Maybe reeling in horror, because I warned you in advance, Matt. This is going to get dark. Um, Little Zorbs is... um, He's going full Frankie Boyle on us this week. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm not going to have to censor this out, am I? (laughs) I don't think so. But I'm just, just, you know, warning our listeners, this this is a bleak joke. Right. I'm going to apologise in ready? advance. If if there's just that little sensor beep that we sometimes use, just know <laughs> that David's son has shocked me to my very core. Go on, go on. 
Matt, why did the penguins fall into the canyon? I don't know, because of the ice. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Uh... I mean, full disclosure, it's ten past nine, David. How am I meant to sleep tonight? <laughs> it's a sad tale, isn't it? That's going to haunt you, for sure. I mean, I can picture it when I close my eyes. That's. <laughs> That boy's got a darkness in him, David. You've got to get into church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. What else do we normally talk about? We've done the week. We've done the jokes. We've done biscuits. Is it A to Z time? <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, do you, don't sound too enthusiastic. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm just aware there's a lot to get through with this week with uh, P. It's a strong showing. Yeah. After a few weak ones. Mm. Would you like some episodes? Uh, yes, I would. Okay. Can you please tell me your thoughts on Parting of the Ways? Um, yeah, a, a very solid um, closer. Arguably the best regeneration scene of New Who. Do you think Eccleston to Tennant? Yeah, maybe. I like... It's, I like how understated it is. Things get a little self-indulgent from Tenant onwards. Yeah. Like, as after, much after as that, everything Peter just goes Capaldi's. wrong and the TARDIS just gets smashed up every time, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I love Capaldi's speech, don't get me wrong, but it's it, it's definitely an indulgence. And there's, there's a lot to be said about Eccleston's understated... Um, before I go, I just want to tell you, you were brilliant. And, and I'm sorry, you were fantastic. And so was I. You know, there's something so nice. It, it's very fitting for Eccleston's doctor, I think. As a, yeah. as a bowing out. Uh, anyway, let's not, let's not get, you know, spend half an hour on just one episode. <laughs> what, what do you think of partners in crime? It's fine. I, I still don't get why... Um, the uh, the adipos have become, you know, one of the most over-marketed things in the history of Doctor Who. Yeah. Some weird fat babies that exist in one episode. Uh, what do you think of Planet of the Ood? Um, uh, yeah, it's it, decent. It's got its flaws, but um, very much hearts in the right place, that episode. What about Poison Sky? It's, uh, it's alright. I, I had to look that one up. I didn't really remember it. Yeah. What about Planet of the Dead? Don't you dare Shut. say anything bad about my lady Christina, <laughs> David. I've got my She's signed the... picture up on the wall now. Okay. I will say, Lady Christina is probably one of the best things about that terrible episode of Doctor Who. She's the best thing about that terrible show, Doctor Who. I've come full circle. From now on, yeah. the running joke in our pod, David, is I love Lady Christina. <laughs> Alrighty. Duly noted. <laughs> right? Just make a note of that next week when we go yeah. through whatever we've got to talk about. Five minutes on Lady Christina, please. Uh, Okey doke. What about the Pandorica opens? Uh, yeah, good. What about the power of three? 
Uh, also good, let down by the ending, but, uh, you know, that was kind of out of everyone's hands, wasn't it? What about the pilot? Uh, yes, uh, a, a, a good episode of, you know, great introduction to the best companion of New Who. Yeah, when I wrote down the names of all the episodes, I was like, that's my favourite out of all the ones that start with P. Yeah, solid choice. I'll apologise if you can hear some drunk people shouting outside my flat. That's all right. You'll just have to tell them to come back later. Yeah, because it's the bank holiday. They're all off out getting yeah. drunk. I can just hear him like, oh, Terry, Terry, the pub's this way. <laughs> but Terry's going the other way. Um, oh, that Terry. That's classic Terry, classic. isn't it? Classic. I mean, when will he learn? Uh, what do you think uh, of Pyramid at the End of the World? Uh, not good. Now, probably my worst <laughs> one that starts with P. And the final one, Praxius. Also not great. I mean, it, it on paper, lots of elements that could be great, but fundamentally does not work, I think, as a piece of television. Right. Would you like some aliens? Yes, please. What about the Peladonians? Ah, uh, yes. Love a Peladonian. Love a Peladon story. I've never heard Would of them. I've heard of Curse of Peladon and, I don't know, John from uh, Peladon, whatever the other one's uh, the, the Monster of Peladon. That's it. Um, yeah. Big Finish have done a few Peladon stories as well. I, I feel like Peladon is due an on-screen comeback. Um the closest you've got to it so far is, do you remember, at the end of The Empress of Mars, there's that weird uh, monoptical alien on a, on, a, on a screen with a high-pitched voice. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, called Alpha Centauri. Uh, she strongly features in, in the Peladon stories. Right. I'm sure you told me that at the time. But... Yes, yeah. Uh, but that's 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 the only sort of brush with Peladon you've had so far. What about the Plasmavor? Uh, I mean, it's it's a classic example of one of those does the job creatures, you know, monster of the week. There's it's no reason to keep it going uh, beyond that. I don't think. So, what do you think about the Pating? Love a Pating. Would genuinely like to see the Pating make a comeback. I don't think Saranga Conundrum is a great story, but the Pating is a great concept. And I, I imagine if the Doctor had to go up against a whole gang of the buggers. Yeah, I don't you, know. You could. I, I, we've only ever seen one, haven't we? And then we saw one we in have. the prison. And I don't know. For some reason, I assumed that was the same one, and there was only ever one. But it makes sense. There's like a full race of them. Yeah, I mean, well, either way, like, definitely, I think the Pating, I was going to say the Pating has legs, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, in a physical sense, yes, it does, <laughs> but beyond that, I, I genuinely believe you could do more Pating-centric stories in the future, if you were so inclined. Yeah, but is, is there not only really a couple of things you can do with the Pating? Like, their yeah. threat is very specific, isn't it? And I suppose it once is, you've but... done it on a spaceship, how do you ramp it up? 
Oh, there you you there you can find ways for sure. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Weeping Angels. Yeah, and I suppose. Yeah, we've we've had multiple very high quality stories with with uh, the Weeping Angels. So, it, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. The last alien, David. What do you think about the pyroviles from that non-important episode about Pompeii or something? Yeah, um, again, like the Plasmavore, one of those ones where it's like it, it does what it needs to do for the purposes of the story. Can't see any need for them to make a comeback. Mm. Right, on to casting characters. Yeah, go for it. Okay, now any one of these, as I was writing them down, I was like, any one of these could be my pick for like the whole yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. We start with Polly. You know, that, yeah, that's who Polly. you really want by your side when you're a 95-year-old man who needs to go to bed. Yeah. Uh, Perry. You'll, yeah, she's great. You obviously need Perry around if you've got cramp in your hands and you just need a neck to wrap them around. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and then this is where we really got into, like, what I consider, like, high, high-tier choices. So I've got uh -huh. P for the Ponds, you know, yep. either of those. Yeah, and then P for the pots, Bill Potts. Yeah, and then I, I think this is obviously going to be my pick this week. P for Pertwee. Pertwee, yeah, yeah. Hard but, to disagree with that. It, it's weird because I was thinking, like, I was thinking back on like a conversation we had recently because I was like, I really like Pertwee, but yep. then. I've also really liked both Colin Baker stories we've watched. And mm -hmm. I'm certain once upon a time I ranked all the like classic Doctors. And I, I would love to know what episode it was so I can go back. I think it was when we did our first McCoy story. And I'd love Possibly. to see how that's changed. Yeah. I, um, if, if any of our listeners can remember off the top of their heads and, uh, and uh, save us the job of combing through the archives, yeah. do let us know, because that might be a fun thing for us to revisit um, in a few weeks' time. In fact, uh, but for... I'm certain it'll be written in the back of one of my notebooks, so I'll dig it out. Uh, I might have it. Excellent. Hi guys, it's Future Matt here. Just check my notebooks and it's not there. So if anyone can remember this episode and send us the list, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. That would be great. That would be a great thing for us to revisit soon. Um, all right then, Matt. I'll, I'll, shall, I, shall I mop things up with uh, some classic stories and some writers? You always do. It's time for me to go make uh, a coffee. Okay, so Paradise Towers. I can't wait to show you Paradise Towers one day. Um, yeah, what a gem that one is. Okay. Um, both, and I'm sort of being both ironic and unironic at the same time. <laughs> it is, it's a trip. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, uh, we've got the Pirate Planet. Just, yeah, classic bit of Tom Baker, Douglas Adams. Good, great time. Uh, we've got Planet of Evil. Cannot remember what occurs on Planet of Evil. Can't even tell you which Doctor that was. Probably <laughs> Tom Baker. Um, but it might not be. Um, Planet of Fire. Uh, which is, you know, a decent Davidson story. 
Planet of Giants. Um, which which planet do you reckon that is? Planet of Giants. Uh, one with look. Is it a specific one we've seen? It's it is it is a planet that has been featured in Yoo Hoo. Yeah. Um, planet of Giants. Yeah. I feel like that's a reference I should really know, but I don't. I'm gonna have to apologise. It's Planet Earth, but oh. it's, a, it's it's a story where uh, Hartnell and the gang get shrunk down so they're teeny tiny. Ah, oh, see, I, I only know it by its yeah. formal title of Orphan 55, so <laughs> you can understand my confusion. I can. Um, Planet of the Daleks, solid Dalek story. Uh, Planet of the Spiders it, as you can see there's quite a lot of planet stories in classic mm. <laughs> Planet of the Spiders which is uh, Pertwee's regeneration story Okay, it's too long <laughs> is, is, it, is it one of those that's like 18 episodes or something stupid it's, it's only 6 but the entirety of one of those six parts is just John Pertwee driving around on a variety of silly vehicles. Oh, amazing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun, but it, it, it does drag a bit. Um, okay. Uh, the power of Kroll, uh, part of the key to time series, of course, uh, the power of Daleks, which is a good Dalek story, to say the least. No um, such thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the timeless classic, Pyramids of Mars. Yeah. Mm. So, there you go. A lot of very strong classic uh, stories there, and also some that I literally cannot remember any details about. <laughs> um, writers. We've got Vinay Patel. Demons of the Punjab, Fugitive of the Jadoon. Ah, yeah. Even if he never writes another thing for Doctor Who, that's quite a legacy. Yeah. Yeah, two two uh, of the best from the Chibnall era. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, we've got uh, Victor Pemberton, who wrote Fury from the Deep. Not a story I've experienced yet. Uh, I must pick up the animation at some point and give that one a go. We've got Mark Platt, who wrote Ghost Light, um, which was one of McCoy's final series. Um, I watched it not too long ago, only a few weeks ago. I still haven't decided whether I liked it or not. Oh, wow. It is... I mean, you know me, Matt. I like a bonkers Doctor Who story. Yeah. You like it out there, don't you? Yeah, I do. Ghost Light might be a little too much for me. Right. It is that bad. Um, I think I think I liked it, but I, I need to give it another watch at some point. Is it more mad than that one we watched it. where with Carcass? Is that called The Mind Robber? I always forget what that one is. Um, I'd say it is more mad because that one... Is uh, that one is very Alice in Wonderland, yeah. but they very they very dis- they make a very conscious choice to like take the Doctor and his companions out of out of the normal realms of time and space, and like we're in the land of fiction, and you know mm. it's very you know here we are we're gonna we're gonna adhere to dream logic here because we've we've bent the rules, Ghostlight. 
ostensibly seems to take place on our Earth, but nobody in that story acts like an actual human being. <laughs> and um, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's, it's like art house Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I liked it, but yeah, I'm not sure. Um, uh, any, anyway, subsequently to that, I think Mark Platt's done quite a lot for Big Finish because, of course, coming in right at the very end of, of Classic Who, he never really got a fair crack of the whip, I think, as a writer. Um, and <coughs> Eric Pringle, who uh, wrote The Awakening, apparently, which... Do I even remember The Awakening? Which one's that? I'm just Googling it now. Fifth Doctor, Tegan and Turlow. <clears throat> set in the fictional vi- vi- English village of Little Hodcombe in 1984. In the serial, a psychic alien creature called the Malice takes control of Sir George Hutchinson to feed and awaken it with the help of deadly reenactments of the English Civil War. Ah, yes, no. And it was that very last bit at the end is right. where I suddenly remember yeah because before then that was just the most generic description of any episode of doctor who <laughs> yeah just like oh no really... an alien menace is plaguing someone <laughs> <laughs> some small vi- english village <laughs> yeah yeah but as a like whilst you were reading that, i was like is that the demons <laughs> like couldn't have been anything yeah um I d- yeah, I, I'll be honest. Not it, it. It obviously didn't leave much of an impression on me. So um, the other writer that I've I've kind of saved till last because really does merit a bit more discussion is Kit Pedler. Okay. Does that does that name ring a bell with you? Never heard of him. What if I tell you that he was a writer or co-writer on the following stories: The Tenth Planet, The Moon Base, Tomb of the Cyberman. The Weird in Space and the Invasion. The thing those stories all have in common, Matt, is the Cybermen. Oh, God. He, he He's to is, blame, then, is he? He's to blame. He is the creator of the Cybermen. Right. So, um, and as I've said before, many a time, Cybermen, my favourite uh, classic monster. I think I gave Terry Nation the nod, didn't I? When we did N. You did. So it would be churlish of me not to give Kit Pedler the nod on this occasion. Especially as I like Cybermen more than I like Daleks. But it's Pertwee, isn't it? Yeah. It's got to be. I think this is the first time we've both picked the same thing. Yeah, I, I try to go different to you. Well, um, because, but I can't, you know, I, to, to say it's anything other than Pertway would, would be completely disingenuous of me. Do you know what? Do you know what? It's on the record that I did say Pertway, but I'm going to change mine yeah. to Bill Potts. Go for it. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Then we're covering the ba- all bases. There's two very you know, strong picks. Yeah. And frankly, I think, I don't think any either of us would have disagreed if one of us had said Pons either, because, mm. you know a great Moffat Moffat had some good companions didn't he yeah like like I say uh, I I, I think about I was thinking about this a lot in the week because I I I keep 
defending Matt Smith and going, yeah, he's my favourite Doctor. And again, I think I've probably even said this on pod, but like, I, I enjoyed his era because it was fun. But like, I even said this on the after show when we were recording. Now, if someone says, you know, picture the Doctor, it's Capaldi for me. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. like I say, Capaldi's the best Doctor, but just that first series just wasn't very fun, <laughs> you know? No, it's not. But it's like, I think with the thing with Capaldi, it's like you've got to acquire the taste. Yeah. You've got to really put the time in, let let him sort of sink into your consciousness and by the end of that run, you know, you'll be hard-pressed not, not to love his Doctor, I think. Yeah. You have to be in it for the long haul. You have to see his yeah. progression. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what a great run. Um, all right, then. I think... We didn't even mention the Peters, did we? Peter Davison, Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah even more Doctors there to consider. But anyway, no, I'm sticking with Pertwee. Yeah, no. Okay. A lot of high-caliber choices this week. Absolutely. Um, Right, so that out of the way. Shall we uh, boot up searchwise.net for the first time in two weeks? Mm. Hopefully there'll be some strong news. Well, um, I don't know if you're aware, Matt, but... um, uh, Chibnall has recently given a tell-all interview with Doctor Who magazine. Mm. Is that where he and revealed who the 14th Doctor's going to be? Or was it where he finally put the final nail in that joke and uh, we just leave it from now on? <laughs> I would hope the latter. Yeah. I can't even honest. remember. Is it you this week? I think it's I think it's meant to be me, but to be honest, I'd forgotten all about it until you just said it. So, um, unless you want me to say it's a crisp packet. Yeah. Um... I mean, which is a bit similar to Cole's story, isn't you know, it? But, it's yeah. not like Meal of the Week that went out with a bang. This joke <laughs> dies with a whimper. <laughs> it does. I think, to be honest, it was hard to top Cole's story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> once you go, th- once you go that abstract. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I might, I might do a George Lucas and go back and re-edit some of our episodes and cut the joke out after that point. <laughs> can you stick a, a poorly CGI Jabba the Hutt in whilst you're at yeah, it yeah and I'll just put some just to seal the deal banthers and tauntauns in it <laughs> uh, I mean let's not joke about it that would definitely inc- in- improve the quality of the podcast yeah see again what I might do is go back and just in the first sort of 30 seconds of this week's episode just edit in the sound of a banther and people will be like, what's that? And they won't get the joke until they've listened for 45 minutes. <laughs> There's some wibbly-wobbly, right. timey-wimey comedy. Right, David, what's the okay. news? So, we've got a couple of pieces about uh, Doctor Who Redacted. Um, I think we'll save that because we are going to cover that at some point soon. Yeah. Um, David Tennant responds to Doctor Who speculation and mid-potential return to role. Um, Radio Times has got Chris Chibnall reveals least favourite Doctor Who script as showrunner. 
Um, what would your guess be for that? What do you think is Chris Chibnall's least favourite that he's done? Um, probably the contract he signed to become showrunner. <laughs> Genuinely, I will say uh, that that his his DWM interview, which I have read this this week, it is it does have a slightly melancholy air permeating it. Really. Uh, yeah, not because, you know, I mean, he certainly claims he just has paid no heed to fan reaction. And that is a healthy thing to do if you can switch that off entirely. But I don't think any human being can actually fully shield themselves from something like that. Um, in addition, of course, I I don't think... I don't think he had a lot of fun making flux in terms of... You know, basically, he had a whole plan for Series 13 and then he had to throw it out the window and, and rethink everything because of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. That can't have been easy at all. And the fact that they made anything <laughs> is, frankly, astonishing. Um, and I'll say more on that when we get to our Series 13 wrap-up, I think. But um, but beyond all that, um, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's, I think it's been a fascinating read. And I've said before, I think, I do think time's going to be kind to Chris Chibnall and his era. Mm-hmm. I think at a certain point, the hysteria will will inevitably die down and people will be able to actually start having reasonable, nuanced conversations about the positives and negatives of his time at the helm. But... Um, Okay, Bleeding Cool, Doctor Who Series 14. When is a second reboot not a second reboot? I mean, it's going to be... Yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, Devon Live, major BBC Doctor Who episode snubbed Exeter as its setting. Oh, that sounds juicy. Yeah, you don't want to mess with them. Nice place, Exeter. Don't know if you've ever been. But, uh... I don't know if I ever have. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, I, 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 I've got very fond memories because I used to perform in a, in a uh, monthly avant-garde cabaret in a uh, the basement of a bookshop in Exeter. So uh, many happy memories there, oh. doing very strange things to a largely bemused audience. No, I, I don't think I have. If I have, it made no lasting impression on me. So take that, Exeter. I'm snubbing you too. Yes, indeed. Um... <clears throat> RadioTimes.com. Doctor Who boss won't reveal where Joe Martin's Doctor fits into timeline. Yeah. Fine. He doesn't need to, does he? Uh, it's, <laughs> Not it's, important. it's around series 13. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Um, any, any of these jumping out at you, Matt? Or do I have to go onto a second page? Um, I don't know. Surely you, surely you want to know Chibnall's least favourite script. Yeah. Come on. I'm going to take a guess, yeah, I, right? The, yeah, go the for notebook it. that I use now um, begins at the woman who fell to earth. And I'm still yep. working through it. So I'm going to flick through, David. Uh, yep. I'm going to say go, you're going to say stop, and whatever it is will be my pick for the worst episode okay. of the Chibnall era. Are you ready? All right. 
I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Stop. Oh, it's, it takes you away. Oh, well, that's clearly not the case. Uh, shall we go again? Yeah, all right. Okay, three, two, one. Stop. Uh, it is Spyfall Part 1. Ooh. Do you think that's the worst of Chris Chibnall's scripts? Uh, I don't like the end. Oh, no, I did like the end with the master. It's Spyfall Part 2, yeah. where he just runs around shouting and laughing. I didn't like. Yeah. Um, in fact, when I flicked further forward in my notes, I'm going to say the worst script of Chibnall's era is Mark of the Rani. <laughs> well, let's see if Chris Chibnall agrees with you, shall we? So I'm going to skip all of the, the preamble. Um, in a recent interview with Doctor Who magazine, outgoing showrunner Chris Chibnall revealed uh, that the Battle of Ranscor as Avkolos was his least favourite script from his tenure in charge. I quote, Particularly in that first series, I spent a lot of time helping other writers. We had some problems towards the end and I had to go back and do some big rewrites, he explained. Which meant that the version of episode 10, The Battle of Ranskor Avkolos, that we filmed was a first draft. I just didn't have time to do a second draft. It didn't feel enough like a season finale and that was entirely down to time. Oh, bless them. You know, like, that must be a... That is... If you are a screenwriter, professional screenwriter, you do not want your first draft to be going in front of cameras. Nobody actually wants that. No. Like I say, even so, when I applied for that job this week, I got my friends to look over the application. And... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. We all hated it. Yeah. Um, it's not a good episode of television. Yeah, but we're not here to pat him on the back and say it's okay. It wasn't that bad. It was. Yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, but I, I, I really do think it's like it really goes to show. I think the showrunner model for Doctor Who, I think, has kind of. Uh, I, I think the drawbacks are outweighing the the, the benefits at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I really hope when RTD comes back, a big part of it is going to be rethinking how the show is made, what kind of schedule it's on, what kind of things are involved. Because, I mean, RTD nearly killed himself. Um, not Not, like, intentionally, but, like, you know, he just... He, he wasn't in a good place. Um, he wasn't, like, you know, looking after himself on any level because of the amount of pressure he was under, churn, having to churn out scripts and rewrite other people's scripts at the rate he did. But um, I, I suppose if if the last series before he takes over was Flux, which was yeah. made in a totally, you know, ridiculous way because of the pandemic and the specials, yeah. he, he realistically could you know, wipe the slate clean and just say, look, this is how we need to do it. Yeah, and I think that's bolstered by the fact that... um, uh, What was I going to say? That it's no longer an in-house BBC production. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's being commissioned 
for the BBC and is being produced by Bad Wolf. So it will be a very big shift, I think. How much of it we will see on screen? Who knows? But I think behind the scenes, we're kind of in uncharted territory mm. with um, with the 60th anniversary and beyond. So I'm, I'm so interested to see how that all plays out. Yeah. Like, um, I suppose more so than any change we've seen, this is going to yeah. be the biggest leap, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's going to be fascinating. It genuinely is. Um, all right, then. That's probably enough news for this week, mm. I would say. Um, if, you, if you're remotely interested, listeners... Um, I do recommend this month's uh, DWM if uh, to read that Chibnall interview. I think it's it is it helps to contextualize so much of this era. Um, why why don't you take there's... some pictures of it and administer it for free on the internet, David? Because nine pounds oh, ninety nine yes. is a lot. It is a lot, isn't it? And and certainly as a practicing writer myself, the last thing uh, I want to see is for. Um, you know, journalists to feel like their work has any kind of uh, value. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, you could be like the Doctor Who Robin Hood, but specifically <laughs> with Doctor Who magazine. In fact, don't uh, even buy that. it anymore. Just go into WH Smith's. Just take yeah. some pictures and just scarf yeah. it. Because they'll keep making it, of course. Oh, if everybody yeah. does that, yeah. they'll definitely just keep making it because they love doing it, don't they? Yeah, they just love doing it. Nobody well, needs. Has, we'll administer know, it to the to like to the little man. Don't worry about those fat cats at City Hall, David. They'll still be buying it. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, there is some really interesting stuff, um, and he he genuinely it. There is some personal stuff in there that I think. Um, it was quite brave of Chris Chibnall to to kind of uh, say publicly. And if that doesn't interest you, then you know, well, you can Google it. It'll be out there at this point. But um, I I think it's worth a read. Is what I'll say. Um, all right then, let us talk about survivors of the flux. No, is that? Yeah, that's the one this week. It, it is, yeah. All right, then. Um, have our listeners got anything to say? Oh, I didn't want to mention it. I thought we could skip that this week. <laughs> I mean, well, genuinely, we started recording late. I'm, I'm game if you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah? Right, so Survivors of the Flux, David. It is episode yes. five of season 13 from yeah. the 28th of November, 2021. Yes. Written by Chris Chibnall. Yep. Directed by Azur Salim. Yeah. So, Matt. Do we need to my, my do, quest... we need to do tweets, David? <sighs> All right, but make it snappy. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. We, we've only got a few this week. Don't worry. Yeah. It's all right. And I definitely am paying full attention right now, and I'm not uh, flipping... My my Doctor Who calendar over. Uh, can you tell me what the, the picture was from last month and what the picture is now? Um, oh, well, it was Davison last month. Um, it was um, 
because uh, confusingly they've done it one doctor per month but they've put hartnell on as like a sort of year view page first of all right so troughton was january pertwee was february and so on so we've just finished the month of davison and we're now moving into the month of colin baker oh nice there he is looking very dapper there so just popping that on. Uh, so anyway, can, yeah, do crack on, Matt. Right. I am listening. Right, we've only got a few tweets. It's not going to be a big one. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. Right, say hello to Amy, David. Hello, Amy. Amy says, it seemed pointless. The scenes with Tet Taeyun and 13 lacked the emotional heart uh, heftiness that I expected. Then she's killed off and it seemed a waste. Yaz, Dan and Jericho, little girl is gone with no mention. The sign seen from space was dumb. I guess it gave them something to do. P is for Peter Capaldi. Uh, yep. Good. Moving on. Yep. Next one. James <laughs> Courtney. Uh, say hello, David. Hello, James. He says, quite simply, I was not a survivor of Survivors of the Flux. And then he says, it's... P is for Peter Capaldi Cushing Davison. Grimwade, Moffat, and I'm sure many more. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of Peters in the history of Doctor Who, uh, for sure. We didn't mention Cushing. should have mentioned Cushing. Uh, anyway. You absolute amateur, James Courtney. Where do you yeah. get off? Right, next is Jake from the Married to Who podcast. Say hello, David. Hello, Jake. Uh, Jake says, P is for Petronella. Okay, fine. It's for Peter. <laughs> right. Then we have a message from Ariel. Say hello, David. Hi, Ariel. Who says, I did not like this episode. I've discussed my feelings on the timeless child, and this was very heavy on it. But I also hate that Division is just another generic, controlling everything behind the scenes organisation, which seems to be a dime a dozen these days in Seinfeld. I nearly said in Seinfeld. In sci-fi. <laughs> Uh, like it's just Hydra from the MCU, but worse and less developed. Plus, there are so many bad guys at this point in this short series, I can't keep track. And we learn nothing new about the Doctor. I like the Yaz, Dan, Jericho stuff, though, and it's good seeing Kate back. P is for Pond. Nice. Okay. Then we have James Swifty Swift. Say hello, David. Hello, James. Who says, this is how you do set-up episodes. Yes, there's a lot in it, and there's a lot of year-hopping that could be confusing, but you leave this episode excited and ready for the finale. Very good, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have a message from Sonia. Do you want to say hello, David? Hi, Sonia. Who says, I really liked Yaz, Dan and Jericho's storyline. <coughs> it was fun, a bit Indiana Jonesy, and some nice light moments. Love seeing Kate Stewart back. Swarm and Azira are a bit boring. The Doctor's parts all felt a bit rushed. But I like it overall. Pete is for Pond and Peter Capaldi. Oh, choosing two there. No, but she's in the uh, Martin yeah, McLean Hall of Fame, so I'm going to let her off. Uh, yeah, no, she gets a pass. Okay. Right, David, final tweet of the week. Yep. Now, I don't know where we stand with this, okay? Because last week you performed what I would describe as the finest moment in all of our podcast ever. Yes, indeed. Okay. So I'm not sure we can top that. Um, I can always just edit that bit of audio back in because it was so great. Or, or I can simply say, greetings, curator. Ah, well, I, it, it's not even BT Flippity Giggard, David. Oh, is it not? No, it's another listener. 
Oh, right, then I retract that previous statement. Uh, it actually is BT, but that'll teach you to interrupt me. <laughs> okay, there's that this week's funny little joke. All right, okay. tick. So say hello to BT, David. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Greetings, curator. How do you do? Please tell us your thoughts about this episode of Doctor Who. Hi, BT. Who says, This was where I realised that there wasn't going to be a satisfying conclusion to Flux. Way too much time spent on a unit story that needed to be set up earlier to have any impact. Tete Yoon returns to say a lot of words that give very little actual info. This screams first draft. For Pete, it's got to be Peter Capaldi, my second favourite Doctor after Seven. I would kill for a big finish with him, Bill and Six. That would literally be the most fun time. Mm -hmm. That would be fun, for sure. Oh, Bill's reaction to Colin Baker. Yeah. Can you imagine? Oh, that would be joyous. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's enough daydreaming. Yes, indeed. Um, so uh, that's that's it for this of tweets, is it? It is. It's gone. So, all right, Matt. Then it only remains for me to ask you, what did you make of this week's episode, Survivors of the Flux? I really liked it, Flux David. Chapter Five. I'm in the camp that thought this was good. I think this might even be the best Flux episode so far. I just want to check that you're not pulling my leg. No, no, genuinely. Okay, genuinely. Like, this, is, this is where I'm sort of all in on flux. Now that I know definitely what's going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I would say, it's closer to the Halloween apocalypse in that it is, we are just juggling multiple storylines again this week. Um, but I would say... We do have now the added context for who these people are and, and what the hell is going on, at least to some extent. Mm. I I will say, I feel like it is very much one of those getting the pieces on the board ready for the finale. Yeah. You know, to use that. Yeah, there is an element of that, but I, I don't know quite what it is, but. I so I started watching it this morning and I watched about mm -hmm. half an hour. Yeah. And then when I went out, I was, when I came home, I was a bit like, oh, you know, I'll have to watch it. And I wasn't that keen, but by the end of it, I was like, right, let's go. Um, yeah, in 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 the same way that I think the best of those kinds of finale setup kind of stories, that what they should do is leave you very hyped for the finale. Mm -hmm. And I think this episode does do that. It it does really leave you with a sense of like, oh come on then, what how's you know? Let let's go, let's go, let's let's see how this all kind of plays out. And I do think I do really enjoy a lot of the individual elements here. I think my biggest gripe with this one is. It's very Doctor Light. The, the Doctor herself is literally just standing around having a backstory told to her for the, the, the majority of the episode. 
you know. Mm. And, you know, my favourite character in Doctor Who is Doctor Who. So yeah. when I have a story that doesn't really feature Doctor Who, it's got to it's got to do something pretty special, like, you know, Blink, for example, yeah. to kind of get over the fact that... that and this episode nearly does. I think the, the, the whole plotline with Dan and Yaz and Jericho is so much fun that it, 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 it kind of makes up for the lack of Doctor in this. Um, See, but, I think one yeah. thing I liked... Going back to, I think it was what Ariel said in a tweet, was at the end of the last series, we had all this revelation about the timeless child and what have you. Yeah. And then the series ended. I like the fact we're getting that solved. I know that this would have ordinarily been a longer series. but Yes, I think this would have been drip-fed a little more. But a little bit, a little bit of so. info on that, but not giving the whole game away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I certainly think we get enough here for now to tide us over. Um, yeah, I guess my overall feeling on this episode is I like a lot of the individual elements, but it f- it feels a little slapped together. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's inelegant in its execution. <laughs> but... Likewise, you know, it was made in the middle of a bloody pandemic. Mm. Cut the guy some slack. Mm. Um, yeah, I, so I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad that that you're kind of. I hope you're getting a sense now for why I was so high coming off of flux. Yeah. Um. It, I kind of I wish we'd had this kind of energy. In series eleven and series twelve, yeah, yeah. Like I, I understand now. I know you said it at the time, and I mm. have no basis for reference. But I, I think this is Chibnall's best series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it it's chaotic to say the least, but that is at least supremely entertaining at times. Mm. Um, all right then. Let's get stuck into it. Right, so as we've already said, Survivors of the Flux, Episode 5, Series 13, 28th of November 2021, written by Chris Chibnall, directed by Azure Salim. Mm -hmm. Okay, so obviously we ended last week with that big cliffhanger where the Doctor's a weeping angel. Yeah. She's not a weeping angel anymore. (laughs) That's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So... (laughs) I mean, you know, fair play. That That is a classic... Doctor Who cliffhanger resolve right there. Yeah. Especially the Doctor's like, why? Why aren't I? What are you doing? And they just go, see you later, pal. Um, Yeah. So they also say that she fears them, which I thought was quite interesting because we haven't seen the Doctor, you know, display any real fear. Um, Not for a while, no. So we jump to 1904 in Mexico where Yaz and Dan are searching a tomb for an offering pot. Because they're trying to calculate the date at which the flux takes over and everything ends. Yeah, they basically have gone full Indiana Jones with this. Yeah, a lovely bit of comedy um, with Jericho and Dan and some ropes jumping up and yeah. down. Yeah, I love, they used it for the trailer, but I love Mandip Gill's line delivery of just, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Dan <laughs> slams back down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, they make a great little trio, don't they? Yeah. And honestly, and we joke about it a lot, but, you know, if Big Finish wanted to pick this up, mm. do a little box set of those three travelling around. Yeah, fighting against I, the Paternoster gang. I'd be... Well, I don't know, maybe teaming up with... No. Adversaries. Rival <laughs> detective agencies. <laughs> Anyway, I'm here for it, is all I will say. Yeah. Uh, so they do find the pot. And then we cut back to the Doctor who is teleported and arrives in front of an ood. Mm. And we find out she is waiting. And when I say yeah. she, it's the lady from the Doctor's weird memories. Yes, the one that you, uh, that you I believe, correctly predicted would turn out to be tech team. Well, yeah, if you're going to introduce a female character and then out of nowhere there's a random female character. Mm. I know how I this mean, works by now. This ain't my yeah. first rodeo. I mean, to be fair, there's nothing precluding a man being tech team at this stage either. Yeah. Um, you I, know, but I'm still, I still bang my head against the wall, David. How did I spot that little girl in the alleyway was River Song? I should have stupid. <laughs> should have seen it coming. Yeah. Of course, the bloody Pandorica was a prison. Stupid idiot. Right. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we back in back in sort of series five, series six, we never really had anything that complex in terms of series arcs. Um, in the RTD era, it was literally just you know sprinkling the same word across multiple yeah. scripts in random places. I should have known, Yana. Anyway. You are not alone. Christ oh yes, yeah. We all, we the, the clues were there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the Doctor is at Division. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yes, Dan and Jerry. It's weird how they keep dropping the definite article. Say again, sorry. Isn't it? It's, it, they, it, it, it used to be just always the Division, and in this series, they, uh, some randomly, at times, it just gets referred to as Division. Like, no, maybe they had a rebrand. I believe... Like, um, like you know, when, when the post office rebranded for for about a month to Consignia. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Now, <laughs> I think, David, and I yes. might be totally wrong with this, but I think the reason might be, at, a couple of years ago, there was that computer game, wasn't there, called The Division? Was there? Yeah, Tom Clancy's The Division. Ah, uh, right. So it might be yeah. because of that. Might be because of that. Uh, so, Yaz, Dan and Jericho are now in Constantinople, getting the pot decoded. Uh, mm -hmm. They discuss a little bit of history, except there's dynamite set to blow them up. Someone's trying to kill Ooh. them, knowing the world yeah. ends. Uh, so, it's going to end on the 5th of December, but no idea which year. Mm -hmm. So then they go on a big ocean liner boat where the guy delivering room service attacks them. Uh, yeah. But he winds up killing himself before they can get any information, except he has a big yeah. serpent tattoo. Ooh. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. I love how cold he has this in, in, in just, you oh, know, yeah. She's just like, dispose of the body. You know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit later on as well where she's just like all business. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think well let's be honest she's just kind of quite single-minded in her her pursuit. Yeah. Really. 
so then, having seen the serpent tattoo, we jump to 1958, where the Grand Serpent is there. Uh, oh, yeah. And he speaks... Haven't seen him for a little while. No, no. Well, I say a little while. It's one episode he sat out. Yeah. But, but still, like... He's 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 definitely something of a mystery still. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we see him, and he's talking to somebody who's about to found unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's like integrating himself into that division. I shouldn't yeah. say division. You know what I mean? Okay. I know what you mean. Uh, Yaz has a hologram of the Doctor, which the do- Doctor smuggled into her pocket. Uh, with instructions, knowing they were going to be separated, but the mm-hmm. Yaz looks at it not for guidance, but for comfort, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's clear she's watched that hologram many times Yeah. at this point. Uh, so we find out that because Earth survived the flux, it's going to become a target now. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of nomadic alien races looking for a home. Uh, they say they miss one another, which, yeah. obviously, knowing what we now know about that relationship, you know, you can see they've seeded it early. Yes, definitely. Yeah, uh, this is definitely the point at which the writers have cottoned on, I think, to the fact that it's probably something that is better being addressed than left to just simmer in the minds of fans yeah. forever. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the Doctor is asking the lady we later find to be Tektayun about Division. And it's a galaxy protection unit. So they yeah. do what they do to keep the galaxy safe. But by interfering, that goes against, like, the Time Lord law, really. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yep. as observers, they're tasked with never interfering, except Division just do what they want. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it is... Classic bit of Time Lord hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they say it doesn't really matter because we exist outside the universe. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're getting a lot of big ideas thrown out at the minute. We surely are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, in the present day, Carvanista is defending Earth, except mm-hmm. the shield has become breachable uh, because mm-hmm. Bell's... Is it Bell's ship that's the missing ship? Um, well, no. One of them has kind kind of has sort of drifted off the shield. It's not clear, I think, why exactly that's happened. But um, then Carvedista's like, "Ah, oh, we've got a gap in the shield. I know there's one. There's one ship that didn't didn't come in when the species recall was uh, right. triggered. So he's gonna." manually basically haul it in now yeah I, and that is bell's yeah ship. i just found that bit a bit unclear uh, yeah i mean it, the whole thing is again it's one of those where i say inelegant just it's just a means of getting people in the right places yeah before the finale this is that's probably the the most egregious example of that in this episode yeah uh, so Bell is flying that ship towards a huge monolith, except Carvanista yep. calls the ship home, and we yep. see on that monolith she was, she was upsettingly close to being. 
it is sad, isn't it? That it's that is some proper sort of dramatic irony there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so on that monolith, Vinda finds crowds of people, and also finds Azure and Swarm. Yep. And Swarm uses those people, absorbs them all to give him power. Yes. Okay. Uh, back with the Doctor and Tetayun, they say the division is the bridge between universes. And the ship they're currently on is a seed vault to populate the new universe. Mm -hmm. uh, the Doctor is a virus that escaped Division and interfered with their plans. So they created the Flux. So the Flux is a Division product uh, yeah. in order to ensure that Division survives above all else. So basically, they're, they're just like... Um... They've give they've just given up on this universe and they're just gonna tear it up and start again. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's that is such a wild concept. I, I I kind of love it, you know. Uh so the doctor has become problematic because she inspires hope in people to rise yeah. up. Um so. I, I I I love that. I love that as a concept. I, I think it's you know, we, there's endless debates about, you know, politics in Doctor Who and yada, yada, yada. But that is, to me, that is proper capital P politics right there. You know, you have this one force who are like, we want all the power and you present a threat to that because you give ordinary people hope and you inspire them to do things that go against our interests. Mm. So we are going to put a stop to that. that it, I mean, it ain't subtle, but I, you know, it's, 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 it, it doesn't hurt to be having those kinds of sort of story threads and those kinds of ideas being, being sort of, uh, uh, Explored in interesting ways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like that. Uh, this is where we get the revelation that the lady the Doctor's talking to is Tectayun. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I mean, we yeah, saw it Yeah, which coming. is like... Yeah, I mean... I, I, it wasn't... what It's not one of those, like, <gasps> moments, is it? it? I remember when I watched it, I, I wasn't necessarily... Because I'm not much of a speculator. I really enjoy just sort of going along for the ride yeah. with things and, you know, thinking about it after the fact, you know, did I like that or what didn't work? So it doesn't take a lot to shock me. But in this instance, it was it was more of a case of just like, uh, yeah, yeah, right, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was glad, like you, I was glad, like, oh, we are doing something with this then. It, it wasn't just... We didn't have to sit through the master's PowerPoint presentation for nothing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. Right. Uh, so now we are in 1967, where the Grand yeah. Serpent, still infiltrating unit, sees the TARDIS, and then yeah. is detected as non-human. Now, I can only assume this, this, this whole thread is playing merry havoc with the uh, unit dating controversy. 
Are you familiar with that, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for, for the uninitiated, it's basically, in classic Who, there is a lot of ambiguity about when the original unit stories were set, whether, you know, the third Doctor is working with unit in some unspecified version of the 1980s or or possibly it was meant to be contemporaneous there's you know conflicting arguments around that and then there's a later episode Mordred Undead that sort of sticks its flag in in terms of giving us a concrete date for uh, certain events but that sort of directly contradicts other things that have been previously established and so basically nobody knows when the entire Pertwee era is set. Um but yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't imagine this storyline helps matters no. for people who care about such things. So he kills the general that detects him as non human by mind shooting a snake into his body? Yeah, it, it, ah, uh, I mean, for, for one, it is one of the most horrific deaths I think we've ever seen in the history of Doctor Who. It is vile. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also brilliant at the same turn, I think. Yeah, because it, it's, it's crazy. Not, it's not necessarily brutal, but it is outright sinister. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And even, like, someone like me, because I'm not... I don't have any kind of, like, phobia around snakes, really. Um, but you don't I mean, want one I in your mouth. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want one in my mouth, if I'm being honest, no. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, spaghetti, fine. But, like, a, a weird alien snake crawling out of my mouth? No, thank you. Good to know, good to get your opinion on spaghetti finally. It has been playing on my mind. <laughs> I was just trying to think of snake-like foodstuffs. I mean, a whole cucumber. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, uh, that probably I would probably draw the line uh, 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 before a, a whole cucumber. Yeah. Unless, am I allowed to cut it up into smaller bits? How about a whole length of celery? <sighs> I mean, I'm not a fan of celery, so no, right. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't partake. Uh, uh, here's a thought, though, Matt. Do you think you could do? I mean, you know, we talked about you know you could quite easily just demolish a whole pack of malted milks. What about a whole cucumber, one sitting? Could you do it? Well, David, we're we're about twenty weeks away from episode two hundred. So. <laughs> <laughs> like. I don't think I'd enjoy it, but I think I could do it because it's just water, isn't it? Uh, mostly, but like it would get so wary after a while, surely. I don't know. And then a little peek behind the curtain, David. Tuna and cucumber yeah. sandwich, one of my favourites. Oh yeah, a solid sandwich for yeah. sure. So I don't mind a bit of cucumber. But, but let's be honest, the tuna's doing the heavy lifting in that in that combination. Yeah, yeah. It used to be my go-to sandwich when I was at school. Yeah. There we go. The banality of everyday life. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, anyway, you yes. Know, our so... listeners are sat at home and they'll be like, is this the week? I just want to know what David thinks of spaghetti. <laughs> oh, now you know, listeners. I, preferable to a psychically manifested alien snake. Yeah. Tune in next that week when a... we'll cover vermicelli. <laughs> right. Let, let's get this done. Let's get this done. Yeah. Right. Okay. Tetayun has lifted the Doctor out of the universe, so she can't be there to save him. The Doctor yeah. says, was the Master telling the truth? And it turns out, yes, everything was true. Mm. So the Master's not that How? How does Tetayun know in that moment? She wasn't there. Yeah, it's not like the Doctor lists everything and says, yes, I'm <laughs> No, there. no. So it's, I mean... I, I, I'm, I'm happy. To, I, I am happy to like make excuses for it and read it as you know, Time Lord's intuition, if you like. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of just like, what's the master? Right? And she's just like, yes. Maybe she's just bluffing. She's just like, I mean, yeah, probably. I'm just gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, yeah. So the doctor says, you know, you've stolen my life. How many lives have you stolen? Tetain goes, look, mate, what about you and these companions? You do the same. I mean, it's not oh. exactly the same, is it? I mean, it's some, not. It's... Some of them have a bad ending, but they have a nice time uh, on the way there. I mean, villains do, you know, they, they love a whole uh, we're not so different, you and I speech. Yeah. But this is a, is a weak effort on that from Tecto Hugh. Yeah. You've really got to, you've really got to sort of been playing fast and loose with with your semantics to, to really make that argument. Yeah, yeah, because they're, they're not the same. Tectoyun's clutching no. at straws there. Yeah, I mean, Tectoyun is, at this point, it seems pretty, pretty obvious, is quite an arsehole. The Doctor, only sometimes an arsehole. Yeah, yeah. Right. Depending on the context. Anyway. So, Vinder yeah. sees uh, the passenger and Swarm and gets absorbed into the passenger. Mm. Uh, where he meets Di. Good to see her back. Yeah. Yes, indeed. In 1904, Nepal, Yaz and her little team meet a shaman to find the end date of the universe. But the shaman's just really interested in gossip. Yeah, okay. What did you think of this scene? Like, did it get a chuckle out of you? It did, but it went on maybe one or two turns too long. I think so. That seems to be Chibnall's patented approach to comedy. Yeah. Is is he has a funny idea and he just slightly belabours it without doing any any kind of additional twists or something. And so it... it, it... It it's definitely it, it lacks the wit of say a Moffat script. Yeah. Um, but having said that, it is funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it turns out all this gossip talk is just you know a little tease, and he says three yeah. words: fetch your dog. So yeah. Yaz has an idea. Uh, they go to China. Paint a massive message that says, Carvinista, you know, fetch your human. 
Carbonista reads it and he goes, yeah, that's all well and good, but I can't time travel. What do you want me to do with that? <laughs> yeah, I love Carvanista's reaction to just <laughs> to that. Uh, so uh, back on yeah. board division, the Doctor tries to convince Ood not to complete the flux uh, mm-hmm. because it's going to compress Earth last. So it's going to yes. make sure it's all going to compress around Earth. Uh, yeah. The Doctor sees that weird old house again and then sees a fob watch. Oh, we've seen these before. We have. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I if I was the doctor. I don't think I'd want it. Yeah, but we have seen that that this that since since this revelation, uh, this do- this doctor at least is really being kind of haunted by. That unknown, you know, that I mean, okay, this isn't a direct analogy, but I kind of have some sympathy in the sense that, um, as I've said before on the podcast, I was diagnosed, um, only last year, um, with autism, mm-hmm. so I spent the first 35 years of my life, uh, or at least the majority of it, uh, not not knowing, not 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 knowing that aspect of myself, and then all of a sudden, the the process that you know you go through, you have all of the chats about you know you know you chat to psychologists and people and they go away and they do their thinking and then they come back and they tell you whether you're autistic or not. Um, and then you just, you know, you get an email with a nice long document kind of laying out all of the reasons why you're autistic and then it's just sort of like, okay, off you go. Enjoy. And you kind of have to... It's a it's a big thing to just have dumped on you all of a sudden. And that's... so. The Doctor is kind of going through that here in the sense that she'd gone through however many lives at this point, feeling like she has a, a, a sense of who she is. Especially if you took, put it in the context of what we saw with the 12th Doctor. His whole arc is just really trying to get a firm grasp on his morality really getting there towards the end to the point that when he's about to regenerate he's like no i don't want to i've you know i've come too far to just hit the reset button again um 13 comes in and initially is happy-go-lucky feels like someone who's just kind of like she she seems so happy in her own skin Mm. and then then this gets dumped on her and it's now, you know, what you, you know, by the time we get to the start of flux, she's, you know, she's, she's trying to chase down Carvanista just to get answers. She's, it, it, it is, it's consuming her at this point, all these unknowns, all of these questions. Um, so yeah, I, I I do find it quite a compelling storyline. I and I, I I sort of coyly alluded to it earlier. I might as well just mention it. Um, 
the main thing, one of the main things that um, Chris Chibnall mentions in uh, his DWM interview is that he is adopted. Mm-hmm. And so this was a very personal story for him to, to, to kind of introduce this thread. And I think it has been a means of him processing what I imagine must be some hugely complex feelings, especially if you're someone who maybe doesn't find out until, you know, later in life that you're adopted. What must that do for an individual sense of self? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do find it fascinating. Um, and I, I get why the Doctor wouldn't be able to shrug that off if someone is literally dangling in front of you. Here is everything that you want to know. Everything that... The answers to all of these questions that have been plaguing you. They're right here in this little shiny fob watch. So, yeah. That that works for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I almost appreciate it a bit more knowing that. I didn't know that about Chris Chibnall. Yeah, I don't think anybody did until uh, a week ago. Right. Um, so, like I say, I think that it was for such a... Because he is quite such a private man. We've, you know, it, he, he talks as well that he's not... He's not, sh- he's not a showman. He doesn't really enjoy doing the promotion uh, side of things. I mean, Kel Surprise, that's been very obvious over the last yeah. few years. Um, and I, you know, if for him, he says, you know, it, it's it's all about the work itself. Um, he is he is a kind of quite a private person. Um, so I, I think it is very intentional that he's left it to this point to, to publicly kind of provide that context and i do think it does it does help to 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 know that too um i i had i had uh previously sort of read some stuff where people other like adopted doctor who fans were kind of giving that perspective on this storyline and saying that they appreciate it on that level so i had that kind of analogy in my head to begin with but but yeah, knowing knowing the extent to which it, it comes from Chimpel's personal experience, I think is really interesting. So, uh, um, anyway, yes, I've I've rather derailed things, haven't I? I was yeah. I was hoping for an early night. That's not going to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> right in 1987, the Grand Serpent uh, is now vying to lead units and yes. kills his superior when he's denied. Yeah. Uh, did you recognise that bloke, by the way? I, I, I recognised his voice. Have I seen him before in yeah. Doctor Who? Uh, not in Doctor Who, but you have seen him in Game of Thrones. He's uh, one of the the blokes from Carth. I forget what yes. the, what their title is. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the merchants like the sort of Karth. merchant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I recognised his voice more than I actually recognised him. But... Yeah, he's got a very distinctive voice, hasn't he? I think he might he might do a lot. A lot of like voiceover and radio stuff, and yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, then for the first time in a while, we see Joseph Williamson, who yes, joins we do. Uh, Yaz and her little team, but vanishes. Then Dan explains yep. who he is. 
and says, look, I keep bumping into him. I think we need to go to Liverpool. Mm -hmm. uh, so they go through the Williamson Tunnels, uh, where not only do they approach Williamson, but he makes sense of everything they're able to say about, you know, bad things coming and what have you. Yeah. Yeah, I really like... I think it's Steve Oren playing Williamson. I love the sort of relief. Basically, he's he's been sort of like getting to the point where he just feels like he must be going mad. And all of a sudden to have someone else being like, no, mate, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels so palpable. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I... And it's really nice. Like, I, I, I like the way that his storyline has just been this kind of like... He has these sort of strange cameos all the way through. And now we're finally getting to the point where, oh, we really see how he kind of connects into things. So, he's... Sorry, I missed a bit there. The Doctor asks right. about the fob watch and says, how many lives have I lost? And she's mm -hmm. given the option shot to join Division or be left yep. behind and try and save the old universe. Okay. Yeah. Because the new universe we're going to is the other end of the Doctor's wormhole where she was found as a child. Yeah. Okay, then in 2017, we've got the Serpent now leading unit speaking to Kate Stewart about closing down unit. Mm -hmm. Now, importantly, it's Kate Stewart without Osgood. Yeah. The one she good gets, thing gets, to come from the pandemic. She gets a name check, but but sadly, yeah, no Osgood in this, in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so she calls him out on things like never-aging and doctoring mm -hmm. information. She has him totally sussed, and she even says, look, you need to come clean here, or I'm going to get my friend, obviously referring yeah. to the doctor. Uh, yeah. But when she goes home, there's a big bomb at her house, so she calls Osgood and says, I'm going dark. Breaks yeah. her phone. So uh, I'd quite like to I see mean... a bit more Kate Stewart. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? Yeah. Like, she doesn't have much to do in this episode, but, like... That that scene where she's confronting the Grand Serpent is just... Um, she really exudes that kind of quiet power. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, um, like the, obviously, when the Doctor's off-world and she's in charge, you don't get the sense she's, yeah. like, burdened by the responsibility... She just no. so plays it so cool. She's just got it all, yeah, in hand. And I've actually I've recently been re-listening to some of Big Finish's um, unit series, um, and she's great in that. I I I, re I really like this iteration of units, and yes, obviously that does include Osgood, um, and I really hope it's one of the things that I really hope RTD doesn't doesn't throw out. I because. I think one of the things that RTD's era was weak on was whilst they did use unit every now and then, it was like different people every time. You never really got a sense of... They they might as well have just been sort of, you know, random soldiers, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really hope that, that he, he builds upon 
what we've already established with uh, unit at this point. Then Carvanista boards Bell's ships. They have a little fight for a bit until the ship's yeah. under attack. Uh, yeah. We cut to Joseph Williamson explaining how his tunnels seemingly lend, lead sorry, to other worlds. Mm-hmm. And then there's a banging on the door of his tunnels. He says, you know, that's never happened before. So yeah. This is everything starting to tie together. It is, In yeah. In 2021, the Grand Serpent turns units' weapons on Earth itself because he's yeah. working with the Sontarans. He's going to sacrifice yeah. the Earth to the Sontarans, obviously, for some gain himself. And that... That one, that one person in the control room who gets the order is just like, yep, oakley doakley. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just doesn't question it for a second. Great. Yeah. Love that. Like, isn't there that famous incident where the guy prevented World War Three because was he, like, working in radar and it, it flashed up that Russia were bombing America and he just went, I'm just going to uh, check that. And it turned out yeah. they weren't because he basically had the power to press the nuke buttons and stuff. Uh, I've not heard that story. That's fascinating. I can definitely believe it. Yeah, there's a true incident where, like I say, there was a fault, and he was like, oh, America's under attack. I better send the nukes. And he was the one person that, like, looked outside the window and realised, like, (laughs) everything was okay. Yes, Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I just... Even if she just went, can I just confirm, you want me to bomb planet Earth? Yeah, I think... Get a second opinion. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think it's again one of those things where it's just like there's so much to fit in. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that there was a draft where that was a longer scene, and they were just like, you know, we've got to, we've got to keep this a bit tighter. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's working with the Sontarans. They're attacking all the way through time, so they come through the Williamson tunnels. You know, they board Carvanista ship, and they're obviously yep. on Earth at present. Uh, so the doctor, how, how do you feel having the Sontarans back again? Because it, uh, it feels like at the end of the war, the, the Sontarans that you know, like we've ticked them off the list. That's sorted. Yeah, wasn't their entire and, fleet wiped out? Um, it seemed that way. But at the same time, it's good to have them as a threat instead of just like comedy silly, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're one of those things where you you can have cake and eat it. You can do both. Yeah. With the Sontarans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To wrap up then, the Doctor vows to save everyone until mm. Swarm arrives and kills Tech Tayun. The episode yeah. ends with him saying, now it's your turn, Doctor. Yeah. It's not going to be, though, is it? Because, you know, you know, it's Doctor Who. I know there's at least <laughs> three more episodes, so... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, still a decent cliffhanger. And, and, I mean, I'm much more excited by the cliffhanger of just Sontarans turning up everywhere. Um, yeah. There's a lot yeah. that needs to be resolved in the next episode, isn't there? There really is! Yeah. There really is. And I, uh, I think my feeling kind of at this point was... If if Chibnall catches all the balls he's juggling right now, it will be damn near a miracle and, you know, worthy of a standing ovation. If he doesn't, and we get a bit of a sloppy mess with a few loose ends at the end of Flux, 
I'd understand it, and I don't think it would massively dent my enjoyment of it as a whole because it's been such a fun ride up until this point. Um, yeah, like I, I think, I'm ready for the the ending. I'm quite keen to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, obviously, I won't tell you. I won't tell you which way it goes, or at least which way I think it goes. Um, but. I was kind of I, I after reflecting on it after the first time I watched this I was like, yeah I, whatever happens. I think this is going to go down in history as a, as a strong series for me, um, and. Uh, yeah I, I I feel much the same on this occasion knowing even now as I do, what the next episode entails, but um, obviously. Uh, that's still to come for you, Matt. I the only thing I shall tell you at this point is the title of the episode, uh-huh. which is "The Vanquishers." Okay, isn't that just mm. Azure and Swamp? Could be. Um, no, I think they're technically the Ravagers. Oh, I think is right. their collective okay. that makes name. Sense. So um, yeah, so it could be Azure and Swarm. Any other guesses for who the Vanquishers might be? In a word, yeah. no. <laughs> Could be anything. This series is bonkers. Yeah. Um, yes, so do join us next week, listeners, when we will be discussing The Vanquishers. But until then, as always, thank you ever so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.